0: Today we're going to talk practically how do we take on a relationally driven approach to inviting others to the table. And just to set the standard for what the next 45 minutes to an hour are going to look like, uh, I'm going to review some stuff we talked about last week, just make sure we're on the same page there. And then we're going to talk about some general postures and tones and how we want to think about inviting other people to the table, specifically the table of Jesus Christ, but also our own table in our homes. And then we're just going to tell stories. So maybe that's not very teachy, I'm not sure, but hopefully you'll learn something from the Spirit of God in your own heart as you're just listening to me gab this morning. So let me open in a word of prayer, and then I'm going to review a little bit last week. Lord, thank you for this morning, and thanks that you're good and true, and you are the teacher. You're the one Lord, and you draw people to yourselves, and thank you that you've invited us into that process and asked us just to love the people around us. So Lord, we receive your love first. We say yes to what you're doing in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to speed through what we talked about last week just to get us all on the same page. We asked the question, why would I want anyone else at my table? And if I can pretend to tolerate them for a meal, how do I go about inviting them? That's where we started yesterday, asking that question and setting the standard for honesty, saying, and evangelism is kind of a weird topic. It feels kind of uncomfortable when we use that word, and there's all these stories of crazy things happening. So uh, we started with the foundation that we are blessed, and we talked about this undeserved, embarrassing gift of grace from God, the times in our lives where God's grace encounters us in a way where it's almost confrontational, like we would maybe think or feel, I don't want that, I don't deserve that. And we feel this with other people, too, when they give us the kind of grace that God gives us that gives without expecting return. Um, and we, we said that that's the foundation for where we need to start when we think about moving out to other people because it gives us a place where we can identify and give grace to other people. I shared this quote that says, the art of gentleness towards ourselves leads us to be gentle towards others. And it is a natural prerequisite for our practice and presence and posture towards God in prayer, essentially saying, you have to understand that you've first been given this blessed gift Uh, We went all the way back to talking about Israel and who we are as Gentiles now, we're not Jews, but that we are blessed by some natural, unnatural, supernatural phenomena we've said yes to Jesus. When so many other people have tried to or haven't had the opportunity, he's grafted us into his vine, he is the vine, and it's a blessing. So that's our foundation, that we are blessed. We said it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, and this is not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. We didn't work hard or try hard enough. We didn't study enough to be able to come to an intellectual understanding of who God is. It is a gift, and we are blessed. Uh, We spoke a little bit of the Abrahamic covenant. All the way back from Abraham, God's first promise, one way to understand it is that we are blessed to be a blessing. So there is this second part calling that says, because I selected you, Israel, just because you're chosen, that's it. You're the ones I chose. Now, through you, the whole world can come to know me. So it always was an evangelical approach, if you want to think about that. God was always looking to invite other people into his story. The second part we talked about last week was brokenness, and we talked about weakness, humility, and love. We read the scripture that says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we spoke a little bit and talked a little bit about brokenness and how when we understand our own brokenness and move away from this Protestant ethic that says, if I am good enough and I do the right things and I pray well enough, then I will be loved by God and I can be the blessed type. If we move away from that and understand really truly we're broken beyond repair, it is only His power that can enable us to live the holy, righteous lifestyle that He asks us to. If we can identify with that brokenness, and uh, just sit in that place of weakness, then we can identify with the brokenness in other people. And rather than saying, I've got what you don't, let me give it to you, we can say, you're broken, I'm broken. Great. Uh, We identified evangelism when we were talking about brokenness as one beggar sharing with another where he found food. And talked about our story, and when we evangelize, it might look more like just talking about who I am, and what happened to me when God encountered my life. That's one, one way to think about evangelism. And then we moved on to the givenness. So using this language, blessed, broken, and given, that we do at New Life Downtown as our way of thinking about our call into the world or, or worshiping, connecting, and serving at New Life Church. Givenness, we talked about all the way from Genesis 12 to 1 John. We're living out the Abrahamic covenant in the whole of the law through this one command to love. Um, 1 John John is is speaking through that book and he is saying all of the law can be summed up in this one command. To love your neighbor as yourself. or, Or to love others. We talked about this scripture in 1 John 4 that says the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. This is going back to that blessedness that he loved us first. We didn't work hard to receive that love. We talked about fear and shame and guilt being really strong motivators. And this scripture helps us learn that if fear is something that we're using to help um, draw people into the saving grace of who God is, then maybe it's not quite the right type of motivator because this scripture says there's no fear in love. So uh, we we, we spoke of some examples like maybe the fire and brimstone type preaching that says, look how hot hell is. My hand is burning over this fire. And can you imagine your whole body burning like this? Buy some indulgences and you'll get to heaven. That's sort of a fear-based incentive to uh, go. And and we said, no, that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about evangelism. We're talking about summing up all these commands of the Old Testament that have intention and purpose in this one command. Really, what the Torah is saying is you need to love people. It's not loving to let your ox run wild and trample people, so tie him up. So that's in the Torah because that's an expression of love. It's more loving to have your ox tied up than it is to not. So let's write it in the Torah. So uh, we talked about this one command, and we sort of reframed our perspective on salvation, evangelism, and talked about some scriptures. Um, we, I use this analogy of uh, we are saved in Christ, and there's this gaping chasm between us and the world that separates the world from Jesus, and this chasm is called sin, and this is an illustration that we've heard maybe before in the church and we kind of scratched that and said, yeah, it's good in some ways, but what it does is sets up a dualism where we say this is us and them in and out. And uh, now Mother Teresa, she, she has this quote that says, if there's anything wrong in the world, it's because we have forgot that we belong to each other as human beings. And so this, this picture of us and them and saved and unsaved creates a sort of gap between people who are in and people who are out. Um, we drew a circle with Jesus in the middle, and then we kind of erased the border of the circle and said, people in general are more or less moving towards Jesus or moving away from Jesus. And it's really kind of hard to determine who's in and who's out. And we can talk about that more in detail, but we tried to say evangelism is not so much the work of getting people in or get, saving people. It's more the work of helping people inch towards Jesus and maybe pick up his scent and maybe sometime come to a place where they say, he, he is Lord, gosh, Wow, look at that. And then after that, discipleship comes in where we can move in more and more increasing freedom and righteousness and holiness. So we took the emphasis off of the point where they say, yes, I'm a Christian, and said the whole spectrum is important. Moving people from trusting another person is just as important to, as moving them from saying yes to Jesus. So we talk about evangelism as moving people closer to Jesus. Both people who said they are saved and people who are not saved were inching towards Jesus. Um, just to expand real quick on that analogy, we we I kind of try to paint this analogy or this picture that if Jesus is standing in the middle of the room, there's a circle all around him, and we can inch closer or farther from him. And actually the circle is a three-dimensional sphere where you can be above or below or around, and all around the globe, people are looking, or at least have the opportunity to look at Jesus from all different perspectives. From an East Asian perspective that values sort of beingness and wholeness, and they see maybe unity in a totally different way than we would. And from a a rationalistic, positivistic culture that's come from the Enlightenment to where we are now, they can see Jesus in the structure, in order, in nature, and how there are clear ways that the Israelites moved into the temple. But all of these ways of seeing Jesus are different and we're all moving towards Him. So just to expand on that for a sec, um, if I'm looking at Brooke right now, I can see her face, her knees, her watch, but I can't see her back necessarily. And so, now I have Matthew, and I'm, I'm going to tell Matthew, Matthew, isn't her necklace the best? Let me tell you about her necklace. And Matthew might say to me, she's not wearing a necklace. I don't see any necklace, but she has a bun on the back of her head, and it's amazing and cool. And so, I just use this to illustrate, if, if Jesus is the center of the universe, the creator of all things, there are all these perspectives on how we can turn to the light. And we talked about repentance being a turning. If Jesus is here, and I'm here, if I want to repent, it means that I turn and look at Jesus. If we're going to do that and draw people to repentance and say, look at the light, just look at it, just look at it, would you look at that? If we're going to do that with people, then we have to appreciate and understand that when I'm looking at Jesus, it's going to maybe look different than when Matthew looks at Jesus. He's coming and seeing him from a different perspective than I am and from a different viewpoint and a different worldview. And I can actually learn a lot about who Jesus is from the way Matthew sees Jesus, Brooke in this picture. So that, that will translate into some of the other things we're going to talk about. That was basically last week. Are we all caught up there? Any thoughts or questions? Leave anything out that you guys thought was significant or insightful? Okay. Um, I'm curious, I challenge you guys, who soaked a little bit in the scriptures that we worked on last week? Did anyone get a chance to look back over those this week? Yeah, she just said it. it, it helped her to hear other people's perspective. What we did last week was took different Scriptures and then talked together and then shared our own insights. and Because we all have different perspectives, from looking at the Scripture and Jesus, we can learn from each other. Uh, quick recap, we talked about Mark 6, this idea of being interrupted by compassion. Although Jesus knew that He needed to withdraw and go to the mountain and be with the Father so He could receive His blessedness as the Son, even though He was doing that, what was right, He was going to His quiet time, He was going to church, whatever, still He allowed interruptions in His schedule. He saw the people and was moved to compassion, and he had compassion on them. We talked about how Jesus then empowers the disciples to go and break bread and says, you feed them, disciples. You're the ones who need to feed them. And uh, they're kind of overwhelmed, but we we talked about shifting this burden of, oh, there's all these thousands of people. How are we going to possibly feed all these thousands of people? Or, oh, there's so many homeless people. How are we going to help these homeless people? Or child abuse is crazy. Like 80-90% to 90% of the people in the prisons are coming from foster care. That's so overwhelming. And rather than being paralyzed with that need or that the, the need is bigger than us, we can say, Jesus, it is your role to fix and heal and convict and our role to love. So I shift that burden from you, from my shoulders to yours, because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And I don't need to carry that. And that actually empowers me to fully engage with loving this person in front of me, because that's where you've called me as this person right here, right now. So that was in Mark 10. We talked about Luke 10 when Jesus sends out the disciples to do altar calls and save people's souls. Uh, Actually, not really. He doesn't send them out to do that. He sends them out to tell people the kingdom of God has come near. He doesn't say, go and win converts to Christ. He says, go and proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. Go tell them that the sick are healed, the dead are raised, the hungry are fed, The kingdom and the ethics of the way the world works when its rightful ruler, the King Jesus God, is set in throne, which He did when He ascended. When that happens, the kingdom of God, it's coming near. When that happens, people have plenty instead of lack. And there's equality among us. And there's unity and harmony and peace reigns and the lion lays down with the lamb. That's what we're meant to do. When Jesus sends us out, He says, go talk about the kingdom of heaven. Go tell people that it's near. We talked about Colossians 1, 9-12 and said, as you learn more and more about how God works, you will learn how to do your work. And we emphasize the significance of knowing Jesus. As we know Jesus, we start to understand how to know other people and how to relate to them in a way that looks and sounds and feels like Jesus. We spoke about Matthew 28 and we also spoke about 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 when Paul says, the word of the kingdom is out because you are the message. You didn't have to say anything. Your lives were such a demonstration of what Jesus is like. People are talking about it. And that's kind of what we're inching towards. So that was last week. This week we're asking the question, how do we take on a relationally driven approach to inviting others to the table? Um, And those are Evan's words that I'm trying to fit into here. So basically, what does this look like practically? How do I go talk about Jesus? How do I evangelize? Practically, what does this look like? I'm going to put a slide up here, and this is just the only slide for today, and this is what hopefully everything can come back to you. So if you're taking notes, uh, this is for you. Here you go. We're going to move through this today, and this is pretty much it. Um, And I'm going to talk about this briefly, and then... We're just going to tell stories, and I'm going to let you piece together how this slide fits into the stories that we're talking about. So maybe some critical thinking for you. Three core assumptions. Dave Andrews is a community developer in Australia. Um, he's helped to lower uh, the, the uh, people who don't have homes in his community significantly over 20 years. He's committed to spending less than 10% of his time away from his block because he wants to be present in the lives of the people around him, his neighbors. So if he travels, it's only 10% of his time. He brings three core assumptions into every environment that he goes into. And these core assumptions are this. One, this person is created in God's image. When I'm talking to someone, we're looking at uh, like pre-fall Adam and Eve, where God made man and he said it is not only good, it's very good. And He put His mark on us. So when we are talking to another human being, something that should ring true in our hearts is, I'm speaking with someone who's created in the image of the eternal, beautiful God. That's the first assumption. This shifts it a little bit from saying we all have a fundamental fracture and we need to be fixed, to saying we all are fundamentally created in the image of God and have beauty and eternity within us, and we need to help understand how to recognize that. How can we see what's beautiful in you rather than see what's broken in you and then repair you? Although that that does happen, but remember, Jesus is the one who heals and convicts and teaches in a way that only He can. So I'm I'm not trying to say there's no healing, there's no brokenness that needs to be fixed. Surely, 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 we have messed up stuff going on as a result of sin. And surely, 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 only Jesus can heal those things. At least that's been true for me and everyone that I know or ever met in life. So, Um, So that's the first fundamental assumption that we walk into when we're thinking about evangelism, is people are created in God's image. The second is that the Spirit of God is already at work in any context I am in. When I go into my office, when I go into a uh, nightclub that's raving full of people, or if I go into a church service, or if I go into uh, uh, whatever, whatever context you can imagine, the Spirit of God is at work there. This is what we talk about theologically when we say God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Everywhere that there is, He is. He exists everywhere, which means we can't go somewhere that He's not, which means that it would be pretty hard to bring Jesus to a neighborhood. You actually sound kind of silly when you're saying that because He's already there. You can't bring God anywhere. What you can do, though, is go where He already is and agree with what He's doing. So we're not talking about the Spirit of God bringing God into a neighborhood necessarily. We are talking about the Spirit of God already being at work and us moving into that place and trying to recognize where is your image here? Where are there acts of justice happening? Where is there reconciliation that we can champion? So this is another assumption that the Spirit of God is already at work. And then third, Jesus is not only with us, but He is also with them. Trying not to use the us-them language, but what this says is if there's someone that we feel like we need to evangelize, or someone that uh, maybe is far from Christ in our mind, we need to remember that the Spirit of God is at work in them. And He's with them. He says, I'll be with you always, even to the very end. And that's something that just helps us create a different posture when it's not our job to, uh, to put them in, in touch or in contact with Jesus. He's already reaching out. He's already... He's already working in the lives of people around him. So these are three fundamental, issue, or fundamental assumptions that we're going to bring in. Um, the second, we're going to reach back from two weeks ago. Glenn Powell was here, and he talked about the Bible, and he talked about how we are meant to be Bible people. When people look at us as Christians, they should see that we are Bible people. This was the original intent all the way back from Israel, that they would be set apart. They would do things a little bit differently so that they could be unique and righteous and holy. And through that, people would see that and come to know Jesus, come to know God, the Word. So if we're going to know God and know God's ways, um, that's got to be first. Uh, This goes back to not being able to give what we don't have, understanding our blessedness, our brokenness, so that we can relate and identify in a way that is graceful and gentle and true. Glenn Powell also talked about improvisation. Were you guys here with Glenn Powell? Raise your hand if you were, just so I can see. Okay, so most of you. Glenn was talking about, um, let me read my notes here. He said, the Bible is an unfinished drama. And he helped us kind of nix some of the uh, chapters and verses in Bible so that we can see the bigger picture of Scripture, that it actually is a story, a narrative from the beginning of creation to the end of time and there's, there's plot and rising action and falling action, and there are characters and character development, and there's wisdom literature, and there's poetry, and there are letters and epistles which are totally different, there are gospels, and they all have their own place and meaning. So if we read it more like a reference manual, we lose a lot of the intent in the poetic context and the cultural reference. So Glenn helped us break down and say, the Bible is an unfinished drama, and we are in the middle of the drama. Not in the middle, but we are, we are in the drama. We're part of the drama. He said, the Bible is not a script. The Bible was only written after these things happened. So you don't see players in the Bible, or even in life, uh, Jesus wasn't looking at a script, going and healing people. He was moved with compassion and had an interruption in his schedule and ended up helping his disciples to feed 5,000 people, men only. So it's not a script. It's a drama, and... Glenn used this beautiful analogy of improvisation, and he gave some basic points on how good improv works, and I'm not going to go through those in detail, but he used two terms that I want to talk about, rejection and acceptance. And essentially, he said, in improv, if you're an improv master, and improvisation, I know you guys know this, but it's it's a style of acting where you're making it up as you go. You kind of have to take what comes and roll with it. Uh, He said that if we reject what is coming in the plot, then you're going to be a terrible improvisationalist. Is that a word? I'm not sure. Um, However, if you accept what's coming, then you can be a great improv person. He used the term over-acceptance. And he said that... Let me just find what I'm looking for here. Uh, He said that over-acceptance is essentially what Jesus has done when God looks at the world and says, yes, there is sin... There is brokenness, and I will choose to work from within and amidst that. So we're going to do an exercise, and maybe some of you will like this, maybe some of you won't, but I assume you came to an evangelism uh, talk because you're open to being pushed a little bit. So here we go. Please, everyone, stand up and come down to the front behind the projector and gather into a circle, please, if you're open to that. Look at this, we're at church, standing, looking at each other. Cool. All right, so um, thinking about this idea of acceptance and overacceptance, as Christians, we're in this drama, this story of the kingdom of God coming and the rule and reign coming. And so part of our role is to say yes to what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives and in the lives of people around us, recognizing that people are made in the image of God, and we can agree with the beauty inside of them. Last week, you told a story And you said to me, I knew we were talking about evangelism, and so I had this thought in my mind, and I was buying something on Craigslist, and I went to this lady's house, and she started sharing with me that she was in the middle of a divorce, and so she was selling all this stuff. And it was amazing what you said. I was so uncomfortable, I was nervous and scared, but I just asked her, uh, can I pray for you? And she said yes. I don't think you said you were nervous or scared. She said yes, and I prayed with her, and later I got this text message from this lady that said, I went inside and started crying and opened up all these things. And this was a way that you were saying yes to what, what was going on in your life. So we're just going to kind of shake off the, uh, the church sort of sit in this pew style of thinking and learning. And this is an, a practice for us to think about <laughs> saying yes to what the Spirit's doing. So I'm going to uh, clap, and then you're going to clap and then you're gonna clap, and we're gonna see how we can go around like this. Okay, here we go. Pretty good. All right, let's see if we can go a little bit faster now. Ready? it up a little bit. Keep moving. Go, go, go. Go, go, go. (laughs) Okay, good. That's good. That's good. Okay, now I'm gonna do something. See if you can follow me and clap at the same time I clap. It shouldn't be too hard. So ready, here we go. Yeah, not so bad. I'm gonna do two now. Okay, here's one. Nice and loud. You gotta wait till I clap, though, is the only thing. So wait till I clap, then you can clap. And I wanna say one more thing before I clap. You've got to wait until I actually make contact, but it's going to be at the same time as me. Okay, here we go. Good, very good. Oh, see, okay. Now, this is a little bit awkward for me as well, just so you know. We're standing in a circle, and this is like social and uncomfortable, and I'm rubbing shoulders against Jeremy. But this is the improv life that we have to live in Christ. Every moment is kind of a little bit open to interpretation, and there's an opportunity for us to improv with the Spirit of God and say yes to what he's doing. So, um, we're going to do something where we go around the circle, and I'd like everyone to say yes in a line. Just, that's all you're going to do is say yes. And essentially, this is modeling that we want to say, yes, God, I agree to what you're doing in the world, I want to agree with that, and I say yes to the people around me, everyone in this room, I want to say yes to you. Just yes, I say yes to you. It creates a posture of openness, a posture of acceptance that Glenn was talking about two weeks ago. So, you can say this in whatever way or fashion you want. Some energy would be nice. Um, why don't we start with Tim? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. Good, nice. So when we're improving, you have to consistently say yes to people that you're improving with. So you're going to do an exercise with a partner, and here's how it's going to go. You and your partner are going to build a house, and this is your dream house. Anything you want. Mine has moving sidewalks and a climbing gym and a couple other features that I'm not going to share yet. However, the only issue is you and your partner are building this house using words, and you have, to, you have to build off your partner's idea by saying yes. So you get one sentence each, and you have to respond with yes. Now, let me give you an example of what we like to do just sort of naturally and comfortably. Um, I might walk into an environment with my neighbor, and I know they're not believers, or at least I don't think they are, and they're just loud and noisy, and it's easy for me to use the word but and redirect the way I want things to go. So maybe let's just do an example. Um, Tim, why don't you start talking about the house that we're going to build? Yeah, you and I. We're building a house. It's going to be pink. But I don't really like pink, so it's actually only going to have pink trim. So can you see how I redirected it to fit my mold right there? If I say yes, I have to affirm what Tim is already doing and really believe he's created in the image of God. The Spirit of God is at work in the context of this pink house. And he has the Spirit accessible to him. So when we say yes and, we are essentially saying the same thing Jesus said when he came to earth and said, earth is broken, Israel's fallen, we've got Pharisees doing crazy things, there's persecution, judgment, hatred... Yes, and I'm going to use this context to reimagine reconciliation in a whole deep, true way that you couldn't even imagine. So let's try again. You're going to have black spots. Yes, and the black spots are very large on the roof. And so we're going to do this exercise. You're going to have a partner. You have to say one sentence. You're going to interchange back and forth for two minutes, and every sentence has to start with the words "Yes, and." Does this make sense? Does that make sense? So I'll, I'll give one more example. Let's, let's go back and forth. We're building a house. The ceilings are actually 5,000 feet tall. Yes, and it won't have any moving sidewalks. Yes, and I don't even like moving sidewalks anyway. That was just an example. <laughs> so it will have escalators. Yes, and three climbing walls. Yes, and the climbing walls are so tall that you can bungee jump from the top of them in-house. <laughs> yes, and you're required to wear a Yes, and because at the end of the bungee jump the cord snaps and you're forced to base jump to your landing. Yes, and it will have a pool the bottom. Yes, and the pool is full of Jello. Oh, yes, and flavored Jello. Yes, and the flavored Jello is whatever you're thinking about. The Jello turns into that. Okay, so can you see? Can you see where this goes? Wait, he wants to keep going. Now, now we have a relationship. We've got some sort of unity and trust going on. Yes, and I know a girl named Charlotte. She has seizures and she can't afford cannabis. This is <laughs> going to be great for her. <laughs> okay, all right. So, grab a partner. You link up with each other. Wait till I say start. You're building a house. So, everyone have a partner. You're going to turn and face them right like this. Turn and face, partner. You guys can go. Does everyone have a partner? Need a partner? Okay. You guys you guys are building your dream house together. Every sentence must start with yes and. Okay, ready to go. Okay, stop. That's it. Done. No more. Alright, just, just real quick, I'm just curious. Uh, what, what did your guys' house look like? Give me a couple features. Floors, stairs, redwood house, and a beautiful forest. Love it. Deer in the yard. What else? Ours became an investment opportunity. We started the business and then ended up traveling the world. There you go. (laughs) Great. Uh, Our house was in Albania. (laughs) It it, it was covered with art created by blind Albanian children with crayons, which was washable art but washable only by people with fire hoses, which was convenient because we had a fire hose and the house was constantly on fire. But that saved money because we didn't have to spend money on electricity because the house was always on fire and we could see. Brilliant. That's that's something. (laughs) Uh, Okay. What was your house like? <laughs> extra large rooms. If I was shopping for a house and the MLS listing said extra large rooms, I'd be totally into that. Okay, what was your house like? Uh, Two-story house with an incredible garden chocolate pudding and other candies. <laughs> <laughs> and yellow. And yellow. So, did the garden create the pudding? Yep. Like you were growing chocolate yes. pudding? That's awesome. Okay, cool. You guys can sit down. Thank you for uh, humoring me here for a sec. So can you guys feel the difference in the room when we get down into the environment with other people and we just say yes to them? We, I, we affirm their identity as a beautiful person created in the image of God. We affirm that the Spirit of God is at work in whatever sentence that you're saying right now, there's something that's good in that that can be redeemed and reconciled. I said that when I said yes to teaching Bible study. I said, I'm not really into the classroom setting, the guy up front and the people in the chairs, and that's not very conducive. Yes, I have this classroom, and there's this beautiful space up front. There's always space to redeem and reconcile something, to look and feel and smell a little bit more like the kingdom of God. Hopefully that exercise gives you just a, a physical manifestation of what I'm, what I'm after here. Um, this is what God says and does. He says, yes, I see sin and evil, And I'm going to work within that and bring a Son and a Savior who can redeem all things to Himself. He over-accepts. And this is sort of what we're called to do as we are in this drama of the narrative of Scripture going on through Acts to where we are now. He somehow, God, God somehow takes our everyday life circumstances, us and other people, and He weaves them into stories of redemption. And this type of mindset, this creative just... There's open, there's possibilities for hope here. We have to have this posture if we're going to evangelize people. We have to be able to say there is space here for healing and reconciliation and redemption. It's not too far gone, and it's also not my role to fix them. Let me, let me learn and understand what's going on in your life and say yes to where the Spirit of God is at work. Because even though growing cannabis in the house maybe isn't aligned with what God's will and intention and purpose is in the world, depending on who you ask, it could be his will and intention to allow healing and hope to come to people. So let's help use that as a medium for that. Yes, and. Now, I think evangelism or telling people about Jesus or introducing people to the church or however you want to think about it, telling the other beggar next to you where you found food or helping him say, my life was like this. I was the biggest skeptic in the world and Jesus healed me. He, he made my heart soft. That happens because something amazing happens when we met the Creator of everything. When we encountered Christ in the dark night of the soul or at the altar call at the church or from the street preacher in Manitou or through Scripture or reading at night or through your audio that you listen to, Whatever, however it is that you met Jesus, there was maybe a time or a season where something shifted in your heart and what happens is we become unable to carry on life as we once did. Um, patterns start to feel like maybe we shouldn't think or do that way, or maybe there's con- some conviction built for us to love people in a way that's different from, from someone else. Here's a scripture from Revelation 4.8. This is a vision, and there's these living creatures with wings and crazy things going on, and they've got eyes all over their body, everywhere. Can you imagine that? Uh, I, I can hardly imagine that. I've got two eyes, and I see enough. But if I had eyes everywhere, I imagine this is some sort of illustration to say these creatures could see the full manifest glory of God. They could see behind Him and in front of Him and around Him. These creatures, they could take in all of who Jesus was. And here's their response. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under their wings they had eyes. Day and night, even though they had the fullness of God revealed to them. Day and night, they could never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. What comes out of them is just holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. And it just comes and comes and comes. This is meant to be what comes out of us in some ways as we continue to encounter the living God here and now. We come to church and worship and we move away from church this afternoon with this, with this posture of holy, holy, holy is God. And it comes out of us. So I'm just going to tell some stories now. And maybe it will relate to this or anything we've talked about. I, I hope it does. A quick note on being versus doing. Uh, there, there's a lot of conversation about are we, are we meant to do? Are we meant to be? Philosophers go back and forth on this. Um, the being, people are being diminished more and more. And the, the doing is something... Let, let me just go on. We need to be secure in our identity, yes, as one who's loved by God. And to simply receive affirmation and identity as I am the one loved by God. I don't need to do anything to be loved. I don't need to do anything. I am one who is loved by God. Yes, we need to have this attitude and posture of I am a human being. I'm not a human doing. I, I be. I exist. It's who I am. And who we are necessarily translates to what we do. Who we are translates to what we do which is why we have to understand our blessedness and our brokenness so that can translate to what we do and how we act. Um, Now, the moral conviction or the scriptural conviction here is we are called to do. We are called to love. So this is, not only does God say go love your neighbor, fulfill the whole of command in loving others because He commands it and He's God and we're not, But he also says this for very good reasons. He he knows that loving others invites us into life in a way that we don't even know is possible. Life to the fullest. And so God says these things for very good reasons, just like the ox. It's bad if your ox kills people, so tie it up. That's a good reason. Jesus says the whole of the law can be fulfilled in this command to love others just because it's a command, yes, but also because he knows this opens us up to who we are. When we love other people and choose to serve and love, it wakes up something inside of us that says, this is what life is all about. I, I, I didn't know this was in me. And 1 John says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So if you're in an environment where love is not becoming as natural to you, that might be because you don't know God in that situation. Your eyes aren't, aren't open, or He hasn't revealed Himself to you. And, and I know life is tricky, don't, don't get me wrong. But um, if it's hard for us to love, we might not be as close to the heart of God in that context as we think we are. Love must always precede other things. And so, yeah, let me give an illustration here. Um, Imagine a raft on a river. And I'm just going to use this for illustrative purposes because I don't want to get too far away and say, all we do is just walk around loving people. There's never a chance to proclaim the gospel. We don't need to preach. uh, Scripture, they'll they'll read Scripture if they want to. Definitely don't want to go that way. So I'm going to use this illustration. Uh, I'm, I'm walking on a river... And this river is beautiful, it's amazing, there's vines hanging, and about two miles down the road is a massive waterfall, hundreds of feet, jagged rocks at the bottom, impossible to survive if you fall over the waterfall. So uh, I see these rafters moving. They're on a raft, and they're floating down the river, and they seem to be having a good time, and uh, I know there's this waterfall, and so the way I'm going to interact with these guys on the raft is going to be a little... I'm not going to go crazy, but I want to make them know there's a waterfall. So I might sort of walk with them at the pace of the river. How's it going? Hey, you guys fishing? You catching anything? How's the river? Cool. Um, you guys know there's, there's a waterfall. You know that, right? Oh, yeah, we know. We're good. We're, we're pulling out here in a quarter mile. Okay, great. Well, if I was at a different place in the river, maybe just a, a half a mile, uh, then the first thing I might say, if I know they only have five minutes before they can get off the raft, I, my posture and my tone and my presentation might be a little bit different. Rather than making small talk and letting them know that I'm worth listening to or whatever, I, I might start saying, hey guys, waterfall coming up. might want to pull out here. I just want to make you aware of this. And that looks different. That's actually very loving for me to tell them there's a waterfall. Just like it was very loving for me to walk alongside them and talk with them quietly. Now, imagine if the raft is just 50 feet from the waterfall. This is going to look way different. Hello, look at me. There's a waterfall. Get out of the raft. Get to the boat. You're going to die. You need this. I use this illustration just to say loving takes on all kinds of different manifestations, which is why it's so important for us to be listening and in tune with the Spirit of God and spending time with God in prayer. Uh, There are opportunities that I've had in life to tell someone, to yell and scream at them about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe they're dying and they're on their deathbed and I know that they're far from Jesus. They're talking about other things that, that help me know that they don't want anything to do with God. That's an opportunity for me to love them. I want to scream and shout and love them. But there are also people that I have in my life right now that I've been in relationship with for years that don't want anything to do with Jesus. They don't want to hear me talk about them. They don't want to hear me mention church or prayer or scripture. They just don't want anything to do with it. So it looks differently. Right now, I'm just walking alongside them in life. And they're rafting, and we're talking about the river and the fish. And uh, there's going to be an opportunity for them to come to Jesus. I know that. Whether it's happened already, and they've rejected it, and there's more to come for them to say yes to. Or maybe that's going to come through me when they say, why are you still walking around with me? Why are you still my friend? I know you don't agree with what I do. Maybe that will come. So I just use that illustration to say, loving people doesn't just mean like soft, Spirit of God is at work, I don't need to do anything. It means we're listening to God. How do you want me to love in this situation? What's the appropriate way for me to invite someone to the table right now? Maybe they're not ready to come to the table at New Life Downtown and and drink the blood of the Lamb yet, because uh, they're not ready for that. That's not loving. That would be confrontational and weird. But, but maybe it's okay for me to walk across the street and bring them some cookies and leave them on the door and just start there. That's one way to invite them to the table. So I'm just going to tell some stories here of uh, when people have just given an opportunity to overcome evil with good. They have believed that love is a transformative power. Um. Did you guys hear about this, this case where there was a guy who killed some, an Amish person? And they were murdered and it was brutal. And I know, I know I'm gonna be butchering some of the details, but the point we'll get across here. So there's this death trial and this sentence and everyone, it's an uproar, it's a brutal slaughtering. And the whole Amish community shows up at this trial with this guy and they hug the mom and embrace the mom and the family. And I think maybe it was the guy, I want to say he ended up committing suicide in the end, or maybe it was right after. But the, the bottom line of the story is this community said, yes, this is bad. This is not. Yes, our son is killed and we want him back. Yes. And the kingdom of God has come near. And there is hope and healing for reconciliation. And you are to comfort those who need comforting among you. So this community wrapped around this family they were at the funeral of the kid who killed himself. They brought pies and cakes. That's one example. There's a, let me tell one that's personal here. Um, I had a friend who was not a friend, he was a person in my life, and he was just really mean. And he was touching on insecurities in me that were, I didn't know were there, but he would, he would uh, I was in an environment where I was living with 30 other people for about six months, and we were on mission together, and there was someone who was just extremely abusive to me spiritually and emotionally just really hurt my feelings a lot <laughs> made me question my identity and i knew he was wrong i knew he was wrong so i would i remember praying god this person i think is wrong even though i'm starting to believe is right because this abuse is happening and i'm i'm starting to really believe i am what he says i am but doesn't seem to be what you say i am so i'm confused God, can I just talk to this guy and just tell him like he's wrong? This seems like a really appropriate time for some healthy rebuke here. It's going to offer freedom for me, freedom for him. He's hurting people, including myself. I'd love to just tell him this isn't how Jesus would have things done. Brother, out of love. And I would sit and just wait on God because I was so twisted up and confused. Sit and just listen. And I only heard one thing. Just love him. And it wasn't love him, it was just love him. And so for me, I took that to mean, no, don't go talk to him about that stuff yet, just love him. And I would say, okay, I'll do that, and I'd go on another week, and my spirit would sink lower and lower, and um, then I would pray, okay, God, I think I'm going to go tonight and talk to this guy, and I would just feel in my soul, just love him, just love him. And so I would love him, love him, love him, love him in whatever ways that I could, just being his friend, being open to him, inviting him to go climbing, and all these things. <clears throat> now, the, the mistake I made there was I didn't include other people in this community, so I went on for way too long believing lies that weren't true about myself. So, it, you know, as soon as I got with some friends, they started to say, no, that's not true at all. You're, you're a son of God. They spoke identity and destiny into me, so <clears throat> that was a component I was missing, but fast forward, we're in a different country now. Me and this friend traveled with a group of others to a different country, and uh, it just got more and more severe. and we finally had a conversation where I got to see a little picture. This, this person opened up and told a story from their childhood, and it was like the Lord just went, whoosh, whoosh, a little snapshot. And I, everything made sense. I just understood, oh my gosh, you're reacting this way because you've never once been accepted in your life. And the people who you thought were going to be your friends abandoned you. And, and you trusted this person and they hurt you. And it was like God just all of a sudden gave me a heart and all of my bitterness towards this guy in an instant just, it turned to compassion. And I, I wanted to cry for this guy. So, that was in my mind. Okay, geez, wow. Uh, and we go on. We were traveling through. And he continues to be mean and abusive and just messed up stuff. So, one night, I'm like up to here. Um, he, he called me out publicly in front of people and accused me of doing something that wasn't wrong. And I think there was probably some weird stuff spiritually going on. This guy had some issues happening. And I was praying and I felt like the Lord uh, asked me, and look, I don't, I'm not like one who really says that a lot. Um, sometimes it's very clear. I, I get a conviction in my heart to do or, or think or act some, say something. I, just want, I thought that the God was asking me to wash his kids' feet. And I was thinking to myself, that's extremely awkward. We are both men, and we're wearing shoes. And uh, I've never really done that much before. And that would be extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> and he's being mean to me. And he definitely doesn't deserve it right now. So, stewed on that, stewed on that. And it was one of those times in my life where you just can't get away from it. You're trying to wrangle out of God's will and you're trying to rationalize. And that's, I think it's fine. That's for a different time. Uh, it's not for right now. And it just it gets enhanced and enhanced. And kind of like this game up here where it's a little bit awkward at first and you're standing in a circle wondering what's going to happen and you need to, you need to initiate this conversation about this house you're building. I finally just told this kid, hey man, let's go on a walk. I want to take you down to the beach. Let's just walk, talk. So we're talking, and I said, would it be all right with you if I wash your feet? I know that's kind of weird and different. I don't really know what that's like. And so we went to the beach, and of course the tide was out, so the beach was totally a mile away, and it was muddy, like this thick. Just, oh, well, I'm not hearing from you, God, clearly. That's wrong. Well, I think I needed to do this still. So I said, Stephen, would you mind if I just carried you out to the water? So I put him on my back, and I took my shoes off and tromped out in the mud and this is like the kind of mud when you step in it it starts to smell bad you know that kind of mud and we're walking out there and i don't know what's going to go on here so i i i had a uh sweatshirt around my waist i put it down on the ground and set him on the ground and washed his feet in the ocean picked him up brought him back and we didn't really talk about it thanks man that was really powerful we prayed together no big deal we go about the rest of our time and uh, it's fine, we're we're sort of our friends, we're starting to trust each other. This program ends, we go home. He lives in Texas, I live in Colorado, great. Well, about six months later, after I've processed some of these things with my friend, and a different friend and my soon to be wife, Brooke at the time, and I'm sort of like healthy again, I get a call from this guy. Hey man, how you doing? Oh, buddy, doing fine, (laughs) how are you? We're making small talk, and uh, I was going on a trip to New Orleans, and he says, "Wow, that's really cool." And just sort of out of nowhere, I said, "Yeah, you could totally meet us there. It'd be great." Oh God, why did I say that? Thinking, of course, he's not going to m- meet us there. And uh, he says, "Oh, I'm working. I just got a new job. I can't do that." Thank goodness. I w- the last thing I would want is this person on this trip with these people I trust that I'm taking with me to New Orleans to help them grow and learn spiritually. Cool, cool, cool. Good to catch up. Love me. Two days later, I get a call from this guy. Hey, bro, I, you know, I was praying about it. I quit my job. I think I'm going to meet you guys in New Orleans. That's going to be awesome. Oh, good. Thanks. That's great. That's good. And this whole time I'm having this dialogue with me and God. Lord, I feel like I'm saying yes to you, but this feels wrong. I don't, it feels uncomfortable. I don't like this. I'm, I'm getting a little too detailed here, but fast forward to New Orleans. It is awkward. It is uncomfortable. We had to tell them to stop doing some things a couple times. However, one night after doing some evangelism on the street, We're coming together and we're worshiping the Lord together, praying like this. And Stephen comes up to me. This person comes up to me named Stephen. Now you know. And uh, he just gave me a big hug. And it kind of took me off guard. I was ready to go to sleep. Very tired. (laughs) On my way out the door. He gave me a big hug. And I'm kind of like, (laughs) it's enough. And I realize he's weeping. Just weeping. And he's wetting my shoulder with his tears and squeezing me like really tight. Really, really tight. Um, And then he asked me, can I wash your feet? And I said, oh, geez, I'm pretty tired, but sure, man, go ahead. So he he had this basin ready, prepared, and he washed my feet. And uh, he's just literally weeping. This went on awkwardly for like 12 minutes. Literally wetting my feet with his tears. I didn't know that was possible, but I saw it happen. And he's crying, and there's snot and goo. And he's washing my feet, and it's awkward because I'm very ticklish, and I don't like, <laughs> I don't like feet anyway. I just, I'm not a foot person. Ugh. And he gets up and gives me a hug and says, Brother, when you washed my feet in Thailand, you were, you were Jesus to me. And no one's been like that for me before in my whole life. Now, I tell this story for a couple of reasons, but mostly to say, uh, this, this saying yes to the Spirit of God, it's going to work out in ways that we have no idea. It's, it's going to work out in ways that are powerful and reconciling and healing and true. And what you need to do, what you be, need to be willing to do is just say yes to the Spirit of God. Just say yes. That. Yeah, you got a question. I see your mind going here. Yes, and. Yeah. What about all the other people on that other trip that this guy really probably hurt in perhaps profound ways? Sure. While you were saying, or you were not choosing to confront him, because in your mind you were thinking confronting is not loving. I think you called for the notion of the whole idea of care for attention. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah, I don't think you're missing anything. I think you're right on. So if we have an opportunity to keep people from being hurt, I think we need to, for sure. Now, the environment, you, you'd have to understand where we are and what's going on. I really don't think he was hurting anyone else. Um, it was mostly loving towards other people. and. Yeah, in my mind, I was praying with God, Lord, he could be hurting other people. What's going on? But I, I, I didn't create space for him to continue to keep hurting people. And I would go and try and sort of talk to him. We, let's talk about this after, because I just got a couple more minutes. Uh, but the, the reason I tell that story, that's way far in the spectrum of praying about it and feeling like the Spirit of God is saying, just love him in this space. The other end of the spectrum is, yeah, go talk to him. And that, that does happen, too. I'm going to tell a couple more stories, because I know we're out of time here, getting close. Um, here's a very practical story of some evangelism. My brother-in-law, Matt, just seeps Jesus. You're around him and he just, he's like Jesus. So he gets this knock on a cold, cold winter day from someone who is uh, selling something at his apartment complex like three years ago. This guy says, hi, uh, do you want to buy my whatever? I'm selling this. And Matt says, definitely not. Don't want to buy that. However, it's freezing out. Would you like a hot drink? And he, the guy says, oh, jeez, that'd be great. I've been out here for a couple hours. Invites the guy in for a hot drink. Um, they get to talking, Matt naturally just has a guitar in his hand, so he's he is always just strumming and plucking, and that's way far from how I am, but he uh, is strumming and plucking, and they get in this conversation, and this guy wanted to be a country singer, and so he gives him the guitar, and he starts singing some country, and then Matt has another guitar he pulls out, and the only real chords Matt knows are worship songs, <laughs> or real songs, at least back then, so he starts kind of plucking. They get another knock on the door, and it's another salesperson selling the same thing, and this girl looks in and she goes, oh, you already got here. Okay, I'll go to the next house. And Matt says, no, no, come on in. We're not talking about that. Fast forward a little bit. They're in their room playing these old worship songs and hymns that only Matt knows. And the girl picks up and says, I know those songs from when I was a kid. I hate church. I hate it. But I love that song. It's comforting to me for some reason. Somehow, the Spirit of God orchestrated an opportunity for worship with these two salesmen over a hot drink. They're in tears. They cry. Matt prays for them. Hugs. They're on their way just a small picture of how evangelism came naturally when Matt saying, there's a salesman on my door. I don't want to talk to this guy. I have a lazy Sunday planned. Yes, and it's pretty cold out, and this guy is clearly cold, and you know, the Spirit of God is in me. I wouldn't mind helping see where it is in this guy. Um, real practically, I have a neighbor named Susan. I used to have a neighbor. We lived in Manitou for about two years, my friends and I, and I had some people praying for me that no witches and demons would come get us, so they didn't So I guess their prayers worked. And we were in Manitou, and my neighbor Susan lived across the street, and the first time I met her, she said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm throwing a Halloween party at midnight, and we're going to have a cauldron, and we're going to cook some stuff up. It's going to be amazing. Okay, great. That's very good. Thanks, Susan. Maybe I'll stop by. Maybe not. And she was sort of closed. She would close her door every day, so I just got in the habit. Every day, I'm walking by my house, Hey, Susan. Turn my back. Don't give her an opportunity to talk to me. I don't don't want her to think I'm creeping up on her grill or anything like that. Hey, Susan. For about two or three months. After a while, she starts waving back. And then after a while after that, hey, Bobby, let me show you my new flowers. Start talking about her flowers. Fast forward a year. Susan and I have this real cool, weird relationship. And I just love her so much. And she loves me. And uh, we invite her to church. And she comes to church. Turns out she went to church when she was younger. She knows the songs. She came to the Easter play with us. Sometimes we have parties at our house and Susan comes and she always is the one to bring the wine. Thank you, Susan. You brought wine. Uh, It's just a small example of me saying, here's what I have. I think right now this is the time for me to walk alongside. So I'll just say, hey, Susan. A couple months go by. This lady is a widow in every means of the word. Um, And she's one of my good friends and I think she's closer now to, to God and the church than she has been in a while. Just in part because of what God's been doing in her life. Uh, there's another story of Adopt-A-Block, a ministry that Matt and Amber and New Life is, and Dream Centers are doing, and this is a little bit more practical. They walk door to door and say, hey, we're here with Dream Centers in Mary's home. We love this community, and we've got some food. I'm wondering if you guys could benefit from some food. And they hand out a bag of food, and they say, what's going on in life? How you doing? They talk about what needs they might have if they get there. Sometimes it's just, yep, bag of food, door closes. Sometimes it's, yep, how's it going By the way, we are Christians. Uh, Would it be be fine with you if we prayed for you? Most of the people say, yeah, please, I need it. I need it. I need prayer. And they pray for them and it's slowly becoming a presence in the community. So that's just some stories there. Um, I have a lot more stories that I wanted to get to today and I found myself talking more than normal. But let me end with this. How do we take on a relationally driven approach inviting others to the table? If we can assume that the people that we are inviting are made in the image of God, that the Spirit of God is already at work where they are and where we are, and that Jesus is with them, then we're doing something right if we can adopt those mindsets. We can say yes to what God's doing in their lives and see Him start to move and transform. It's important for us to know God and know God's ways. Uh, Glenn Powell said, We are to be Bible people. So we need to understand our brokenness and our blessedness as sons and daughters of God. So the first thing for evangelism is know God, know His ways, pray. Pray for people, pray for yourselves. Understand what it is that the kingdom of God is. What is the kingdom of God? When I'm proclaiming the kingdom of God, what is that? Why is forgiveness important? Why is washing feet something that he says, go and do this? Accept another story. This acceptance that Glenn was talking about. I affirm. I say yes to where you are. Um, and this one right here is really important. Pray for people in circumstances. If we are in a, in a position where there's just like a lot going on, prayer is going to be the secret key that unlocks whatever it is. Lord, I have no idea how to interact with Susan. She seems like she bakes cauldrons on the hill and closes her door when I see her. Lord, I just pray for Susan. Soften her heart. Give me an opportunity to love her and talk with her. I pray for her, Lord. If you guys are committed to praying for people, the evangelism will come naturally. And then just love other people. Whatever it looks like in that situation to love people, love. I know every single one in this room will have an opportunity to present the gospel to someone in the next 60 to 90 days. If you guys are looking for it and you're open for it, I know that happens. So pray. Pray for others. And the, prayer, the scripture we prayed last week in Colossians said, pray that there might be an open door for me to proclaim the mystery clearly. So if you guys are open to it, you're willing to do these things, I think you'll see a lot of cool stories happen. Thanks for sticking with me for two weeks. Appreciate it. Let me pray for us and for our friends and neighbors and then we'll be done. Lord, thank you for these people. Uh, thank you that we are made in your image, God, and there's so much beauty in this room and wisdom and insight and stories. Lord, thank you for the people in our circles at work, in school, in our jobs, our families that are far from you or looking at you from a different angle, a different perspective. We pray for them, Lord. Soften their heart. Help them be open to what your Spirit is doing. I know your hand is reaching out to them. Help them to turn and see that. Lord, give us wisdom if there's something that we need to rebuke someone of and love them by saying, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting others by doing this. Turn, look at the light with me. Give us wisdom on how to do that. If there's an opportunity for us to just wave a hand and say hello to someone who hasn't said hello to in a while, give us wisdom to see that. And Lord, open our eyes to Your Scripture. Open our eyes to the Word of God. Help us see where we fit in the drama, the narrative of Scripture. Help us see what the Kingdom of God is and what You're doing in our cities and our communities in our church, with the people we volunteer with, help us see where you are there, Lord, and agree with you and say yes to what you're doing. In Jesus' name, we pray. We need you. We love you. Thank you for our blessedness. Thank you for our brokenness where there's space for you to be strong where we are weak. Amen. Alright, okay, thanks guys.